Hello, and welcome to Breast Cancer Conversations, a podcast brought to you by survivingbreastcancer.org. I'm Laura Carfing, breast cancer survivor and founder of survivingbreastcancer.org, a nonprofit organization providing community, education, and resources to empower those diagnosed with breast cancer and their caregivers from day one and beyond. Hello, everyone. It's Laura Carfang. I am so excited to be speaking with you yet again on another weekly episode of Breast Cancer Conversations. Every week, my heart is filled because we are bringing you the nascent conversations that we have in the breast cancer community. Today, it is my pleasure to be speaking with Elegy and Chelsea. We talk about the LGBTQAI plus communities, as well as what it means to be transgendered and knowing about women's health, plus what it's like to be in this community and being diagnosed with breast cancer. So without further ado, I am so excited to have these two phenomenal guests on our show today. We're going to get into the nitty gritty and yeah, let's just roll with it. Language is so sensitive. Like I, having started this organization, I call it surviving. It's like a a present tense thing that we're doing. And I have people who are diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer come to me saying, well, I'm not surviving. Like, I'm not a survivor. I don't identify as survivor. I'm like, no, no, I'm not calling you a survivor. Like, you're still going through active treatment for the rest of your life, basically. But we are surviving, right? So it's kind of like having to defend almost our identity or our preferences or our, like, we're constantly at this fight, you know? And then I was like, well, maybe we're thrivers. Like, we're just thriving. And they're like, well, we're not thriving all the time either. And I'm like, gosh, okay, fine. So we are a person diagnosed with breast cancer. Like, that's what we are, right? So like, what is the best language? And then I talk to other women who come on the show and I love them because they're like, oh my God, we're warriors and we're survivors and we're fighting this fight. And I'm like, why is it a fight? Why do we have to fight all the time, you guys? So I say all of this because with a smile and a little bit of humor because at the end of the day, it's personal. And you do you and you do whatever empowers you and that is what works. Welcome to the conversation. I am Ella G, and it's actually uh, pronounced like Ella G. I work in retail. Uh, Sanjana and I actually uh, worked together at Apple when I worked at Apple in Washington, D.C. And um, I am a rights advocate for those in the trans community, uh, as well as an activist in my own right, and uh, just a a person that works. (laughs) Chelsea. I am a non-binary femme, bisexual, queer, living in Brooklyn. I'm originally from Tennessee. Um, I've lived in the city for, I know, Elegy, where are you from? I live in Memphis. I was born in Jackson, Tennessee. Yeah. So like right outside of there. Um, That's so funny. (laughs) Um, yeah, so originally I'm from Tennessee. Um, my family still lives there. They're in Chattanooga. Um, I've lived in New York for about 13 years, and I currently live in Brooklyn with my partner and my dog and my step cat. Um, and yeah, my paid work is working as an art department coordinator. So I kind of like just coordinate everything that's needed for art departments in film and TV, mostly in television is what I work in. And then my unpaid work is producing films. Um, mostly, um, they're all queer stories and, um, mostly documentaries is what I'm working in right now. Thank you both for those introductions. 
Chelsea, do you mind taking us a little bit deeper? You used a lot of different uh, descriptions like queer and non-binary, et cetera. Can you give us a little bit of a definition about those? Well, it, just as the word like binary, like male, female, and then not that, or also like beyond that. So like not the, not male or female, I feel just... I always felt more like alien and this is me defining it for myself. Um, just always felt outside of either thing. So non-binary and, um, but femme is the other part of my identity or like is part of that identity, which I discovered like only in the past, like five years by like my work and like existing in like, Brooklyn queer nightlife and being around drag performers and burlesque performers and where those things collide and intersect. And they've really different members of that community really like are these really empowering, strong, vulnerable, dynamic femme queers. And um, so, yeah, that's part of my, like, not a woman, not a girl, but like femme, I'm still non-binary, but I am femme. I've been in a lot of environments where there's a lot of focus on pronouns. And, you know, some people will tell you that their pronoun is their name, similar to what you're saying. So it's more so that your pronoun, you don't care about pronouns. Your pronoun is your name. And that's what you want to focus on. I think in a lot of healthcare settings, I've been in a lot of situations where I've been misgendered before. So there has to be more focus on pronouns even if it's not necessarily for myself, maybe for that next person that walks into the office to make sure that they're paying attention to that and their care to someone else. I've even had that happen to me in a LGBTQ health center. And while I was in the office at the same time, someone was dead named. So there should be a focus on correct pronoun usage and correct name usage um, because on more than one occasion someone has come and gone uh, Mr. Brooks in the waiting room and you're like no that's not correct I've had medical professionals misgender me so obviously when they walk out into a waiting room to call their next patient they're looking at who the next patient is and they haven't necessarily taken the time to see that yes my insurance may still have me listed as male because that biological marker has not been changed but i wrote on every single document that i submitted to you it is miss you know what i mean so it, it's that attention to detail by our uh, medical professionals. And I think that that's sometimes what we are lacking in because, uh, because of my being transgender, there's also other things over time that have gotten overlooked as far as, Hey, these are some things that you should be aware of moving forward in your transition that could lead to in, uh, increased risk for breast cancer moving forward. Hey, you can't go and get like a regular mammogram. You have to get a sonogram, things like that. 
And this is exactly why I want to have this conversation today on the podcast, because yes, we're talking about transition, but there's so much more to that. We need to know about women's health in general. It's not just about the transition and the surgeries and the hormonal pills, et cetera. I talk about this a lot with uh, breast cancer and survivorship. You know, we've never gone through this before, so I don't know what I don't know. I need someone to give me that guide of when do I come back for follow-ups? What type of screening do I get after the fact? How often should I be getting this screening? So I would imagine this would be very similar in your situation to know who the doctors are. Are you going to now start seeing an OBGYN? How often are you going to have ultrasounds for breast screenings, etc.? So these are all really important questions. Jesse, I'd like to turn to you because you actually have been diagnosed with breast cancer. Can you share a little bit more about your story and experience? Spring of 2020, I noticed uh, like a difference in my right breast and just kept an eye on it. Didn't want to freak out or anything. And then COVID happened and just didn't go to the doctor. And then in December of 2020, I noticed a significant difference in the size of the lump. Um, And so then I was like, I have to go to the doctor now. So in January, um, I went to see my general physician and brought it up and she sent me to get a sonogram. She was like, you're too young, but we'll send you for a sonogram, you know, the whole this, but this. Um, and then I was in the doctor's office for the sonogram. They were like, you're too young for this sonogram, but we're giving it to you. And then they was inconclusive. They were like, we're going to try and get you in for a mammogram. They held me in the office. So I was like, oh, this is probably something had a mammogram still unsure of what it was. So then I had a biopsy and that's when they determined that it was DCIS in my right breast. Um, Originally it was going to be a lumpectomy with radiation as treatment. And then I went in for an additional biopsy, um, an MRI led biopsy, and they found another portion of DCIS. So um, it was a, I had a mastectomy. As you're going through all this, were you telling friends and family? Did you have a good, strong support system? I only spoke to it about my, with my partner. They were helping me just kind of like, is this different? Yes. You know, just kind of being like, am I just like freaking out about something? Um, so they were helping me like talk through it. Um, I had not had a great experience with my previous doctor that I'd had. So they helped me find like a new doctor, them and a friend helps me find a new doctor, um, which is who I started with in January, like a general practitioner to, to like, be like, okay, this is some, I need to like get this addressed. So yeah, I was just, I kept it just between my partner and myself. Chelsea, can you tell me what DCIS is? Yeah. So it's, um, ductal Carson. Yes. It's ductal carcinoma in situ. I think I said all those words correctly. So yeah, so it's in the milk gland. It's in this, it's in place. So in situ, it's like in the place that it is held in. It hasn't become invasive yet. Um, But there are cancerous cells in the lining of the milk glands. According to the Mayo Clinic, ductal carcinoma in situ is the presence of abnormal cells inside the milk duct, inside the breast. DCIS is considered the earliest form of breast cancer and is non-invasive, meaning it hasn't spread outside of the milk duct and has a low risk for becoming invasive. You mentioned that you had the biopsy as well as the mammogram. Did you have any other additional screenings leading up to your surgery? 
So a week before my surgery, I had an MRI or maybe like a week and a half before surgery. So I had an MRI. That's when she saw potentially a second place. So then I had a, a, the MRI led biopsy, which was the Thursday before my Thursday, next Thursday surgery was scheduled. So over that weekend, my diagnosis changed, or I guess my diagnosis changed, but the extent of it shifted and as did my options. She, you know, I basically had all of the options, which was great and terrible. Um, It's like, I don't want the choices, but it's, I guess it is nice to have them. So she, um, my surgeon or my oncologist was so comfortable doing a lumpectomy when we discussed it and having radiation afterwards and seeing where it went. She also said, you know, I was like mastectomy is an option. And then, you know, I could have done a double mastectomy as well um, for reconstruction. Um, most from, I don't have, I had, I don't think I had gotten my genetic results yet, but I, or maybe I had, no, I hadn't yet. But anyway, I didn't see, I didn't have a family history of breast cancer. So there wasn't a preemptive risk of removing both to get out of the way. So it would have been for symmetry reconstruction wise. I sat with that over the weekend and then I met with my oncologist on Monday to final have a final meeting. And I, at that point I was like, I just want to have a mastectomy. I didn't feel like a lumpectomy was going to be enough, just my feelings about it. And we sat there and talked and she, by the end of the meeting was like, yeah, we shouldn't do a mastectomy. This is a lot more cancer than what we had thought. So that was my decision. And then I met with my plastic surgeon on Tuesday and my surgery was on Thursday. (laughs) So my surgeon initially went in and was talking about um, implants. That was kind of like her opening thing and everything that she was talking about. And I was like, I kind of didn't feel like I wanted an implant. So I was on my own research and talking with other people who were going through similar process. I felt like I wanted a flat closure or um, deep flap. So we kind of talked about like what that would be as far as like how much time in surgery, what's the recovery like for each of those things? Was I even a candidate for deep flap? You bring up some really great points because not everybody has all of these options available to them. A lot of times you are told, depending on the extent in which the cancer has spread, that you need to have a mastectomy, potentially a double mastectomy. Some people are candidates for deep flap or other types of fat grafting where they take tissue from other parts of your body, either from your, I'm totally going to get this wrong, I apologize because I'm not a medical professional, but from like the back, um, like where your shoulder blade area is. I've also seen it where they've taken it from your buttocks area. And then also I think most commonly for the deep flap is like your abdomen. But yeah, I think, you know, you really need to weigh what the recovery time is going to be and the extent of how many surgeries you're looking at. Also kudos to you for doing your research and knowing about aesthetic flat closure. This is now becoming more mainstream where doctors are actually providing this as one of the options people have. You know, I think the idea is that, okay, while you have breast cancer, we're removing your breast. Let's figure out ways to reconstruct it because, you know, it's devastating to have cancer. And so you're going through so much loss. What can we do to replace that? However, more and more common now we are hearing from oncologists and sorry, surgeons who are also now offering the option. Okay, here are all of your options if you want to reconstruct. 
but you don't have to. It is obviously not required. It is your choice. It is your body. And so having an aesthetically flat closure is a great way where they remove the tissue also, and you get this kind of aesthetically pleasing closure. So it's also good, especially for all of our listeners to know that this is an option for you. And if your doctor does not bring it up with you, it is something that you can ask about. What I kind of took away from part of what you said, Chelsea, is like somebody was talking about, oh, you get a tummy tuck because you had cancer. Great. And it's like, that's, you missed the point. (laughs) Oh, completely. Yeah. Not by a long shot. You know, people, things not to say to a cancer patient, right? Like, oh, you get a boob job or you get a tummy tuck. Like, yeah, that's not what it is. It's, it's cancer and we're trying to kill the cancer and move on. Elegy, I would love for you to kind of enlighten us and share a little bit more about your experience because you actually went through a transformation. And so I would love to hear what that experience was like. And if you can tell our listeners and share with us too, like, were you on hormonal therapies? Did you have to go through multiple surgeries? Did you opt to go through um, breast reconstruction and end up getting implants? I would love to hear a little bit more about your perspective. There's a ton that goes into transitioning. Um, so, and um, there are a few key places where it really does tie in to risk for having breast cancer. My process was pretty like straightforward. I started transitioning a little bit later in life. So I think I was in a place where I didn't care as much about the um, stigma and things like that. I was just ready to do what I wanted to do. Um, I uh, got to a point where um, as I would pull up to work each day, I would like start to have an anxiety attack. And uh, I just called my bosses one day and said, hey, I'm not coming in. I don't know when I'm going to be back. I'm going to take some time and figure out what's going on. And uh, less than a week later, I was in an office with a gender therapist. And I was um, talking to that gender therapist about the things that I was feeling and what was going on. And um, about a month after that, I was in a doctor's office getting put on hormone replacement therapy. Um, And part of that is the luxury of the location that I was in because I was in DC at the time. So there are many more providers and open providers there versus some areas in the country. I've talked to some people in like uh, Georgia and uh, certain parts of Tennessee where they don't have access to that kind of healthcare. A few years later, after having gone through very interesting situations, I finally found a doctor who I trusted enough to have breast augmentation surgery with. So I went through a implant surgery. What they did was they actually moved the fold of the breast Uh, Part of that process was the doctor actually discussing with me, hey, you probably don't want to get this kind of implant. You probably want to get this kind of implant. And part of that had to do with autoimmune and potential risk to cancer as well, based on certain kinds of implants. Whenever you start hormone replacement therapy, uh, having additional estrogen in the body increases your risk for um, getting breast cancer, which 
I'm sure was told to me at the time, but not in a way of, hey, it actually increases your risk by like 30, 40 (laughs) percent. So interesting because something similar with me, my cancer was so aggressive that we needed to start chemotherapy right away. So there was like that quick, like two minute clip of, okay, check the box, covered my bases. I'm going to ask about fertility. Hey, would you like to preserve your eggs? And I'm like, well, I've never really thought about this, et cetera. What is that involved? Well, it involves giving myself shots of estrogen that would actually feed my cancer. And so, you know, I literally turned to my boyfriend and I'm like, are you cool without kids? There's other options for us. He's like, yeah, let's, let's, you know, start chemotherapy like as soon as possible. I don't remember being told before my breast augmentation, like, Hey, after this, you're not going to be able to get like just a traditional, uh, like mammogram, right. You're actually going to need to go and get a sonogram done. I'm sure that wouldn't have affected my decision. You know what I mean? But it's just for awareness of others. Like that should probably be a discussion that happens. Chelsea, are you on any hormonal therapies? I opted to, based off of my genetic rundown, I opted to not take the blockers because of the side effects. Um, I just didn't. There wasn't a huge reason that the doctor could give me to take it for risk, um, for preventative. Um, So I opted not to, so I didn't have to go through all of that. Yeah, it's such a personal choice and you really have to weigh the quality of life, pros and cons and your risk. These are definitely important conversations to have with your entire medical team. LLG, I know you mentioned that your surgery was quite affirming. You know, this is something that you've been wanting. You've been wearing prosthetics for a number of years. And so for you to have this breast augmentation, it was like, you know, getting your life back. It was a very positive experience for you. Chelsea, can you weigh in a little bit about what your experience was like with the surgery itself? Of being diagnosed with breast cancer and then also having a partner who has had top surgery, I had some idea of what, I mean, they are, top surgery and flat closure are different things. With a mastectomy, like my partner didn't have a mastectomy. Um, They didn't have to remove every single bit of, you know, skin tissue, like to remove something that was dangerous. They only had to have removed what was like aesthetically going to form their chest. And then, so I had kind of, so I already knew about drains, thank God. I had already done their care. Um, So I kind of had like a basis of some sort of idea what a flat closure could look like. I even brought it up to my oncologist when I met with her and she was talking about like, mastectomy versus lumpectomy. And I was like, oh, well, my partner had um, top surgery. Like, how is that compared to mastectomy? And she was like, that's totally different. Has nothing to do with this. And then I was like, okay, well, that's my point of reference. So can you tell me how it's different? And then she kind of was like, she was like, oh, well, like, like my, my friend, it was so funny. She started talking about her friend who's a plastic surgeon and does like gender affirming surgeries here in New York. And she mentioned, um, Bluebon, And I was like, oh, that's who did my partner's top surgery. Like, and she was like, you know, my, you know, my friend. And she was like, so confused. I think she had it in her mind that her friend is this, like, is like a niche surgeon or something. And like, no one would know who she is. And I was like, no, she does like 
like half of my friends' top surgeries are done by her. Like she's very famous. Like we love her. Like she's a very big deal. Um, so then like, it just became like, now that I had like an, also a different relationship with my oncologist who was like, now, you know, my friend and I'm fascinated by that. But, um, yeah, so just like figuring out what I was able to, I think my biggest decision was what I was able to like process in the time, um, that I was in, like the mental state that I was in. Cause again, yeah, like my mental health was just like really crashed. Um, and I just wanted to be able to maintain like as much normalcy. And I knew that flat closure was going to be the simplest option. I don't have a big attack. I've never been attached to my breasts as like part of my identity. I've always, they, you know, I had really big boobs at a very young age and they always, so when I had boobs, they were always for someone else to comment on. I either being teased about them or being like just whatever gross or weird, awkward thing could happen. So I never felt like it was my body part for me in that kind of way. So losing it, it was more about like, I'm just losing like the amputation. Like you said, it's like, this is my body that is like not a good thing to have in my, in connected to me anymore. As you're exploring your surgical options, have either of you investigated or researched um, tattooing, whether it was nipple tattooing or tattooing to cover up a scar? That tattooing was actually something that I started to look into for my breast augmentation until things kind of like settled and then it wasn't enough need anymore. Yeah, so uh, it's actually something that's pretty common within the transgender community as well. A lot of uh, people that are trans, when they have breast augmentation surgery, it may not necessarily increase the size of their nipple. So they sometimes actually use it to increase the size of the um, nipple that's already there for some trans patients. As we finish up this podcast, I appreciate all of your valuable information and personal experiences. Is there any last words or piece of advice you'd like to share with our community? That not everyone who's diagnosed with breast cancer is a woman. And it's, you know, one out of a hundred cis men are diagnosed with breast cancer. Like it's an expansive disease and to remove some of this, like clinging to pink ribbons and like, and if that's good for you, that's good for you, but know that it's like not good for everyone else. Um, Yeah. Just not everyone who has breast cancer is a woman. (laughs) And I think mine was actually going to be kind of like the counter to that, actually. I was going to say, just keep in mind that there is someone out there that's already gone through the experience that you're going through and um, find that community uh, if that's something that's of value to you. Chelsea and Elegy, this has been a phenomenal conversation. I really appreciate your openness about talking about your personal experiences, about transformation, about breast cancer and women's health as a whole. I think this has been incredibly enlightening and I will be sure to link to all of your social media outlets and your emails and how people can get in touch with you in the show notes below. And again, I thank you again so much for sharing your time and experience and welcome to the survivingbreastcancer.org community. Thank you for tuning in and listening to our podcast. If you would like to find out more about our organization and upcoming events and ways to connect, you can find out more by visiting our website at survivingbreastcancer.org. I would like to acknowledge that all of the information on our podcast is from personal experiences and it is not a substitute for professional medical advice. You should always consult your medical care team. 
If you're looking for specific topics or would like to be a guest on our show, feel free to contact me directly at laura at survivingbreastcancer.org. And of course, we have a couple social media handles you can follow us at as well. For example, survivingbreastcancer.org, all one word, as well as our podcast specifically, Breast Cancer Conversations. Until next time, keep on thriving.